Well, good morning. So glad you're here with us this morning, worshiping with us. Glad you're with us on the live stream as well. A hundred and, well, we had 107 days to go when we started this series back in mid-August. It was about 99 days ago that we started this series. And now we have eight days to go on this series. And what we've been saying all along is... Um, if you knew that you were going to pass away on 11:27, which is the Monday after Thanksgiving weekend, what would you do? Like, are you ready? And that's a fo- question I like to focus in on this morning is, are you ready? Because we are 99 days closer to eternity than when we started. And some of you are like, well, I'm really ready to be done with Ecclesiastes, I can tell you that. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of what I'm talking about as well as, are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet the Lord and have your life examined? Because this has been really the point of Ecclesiastes is living with the end in mind. Um, That's what I mean by living backwards is thinking about what 1214 is going to talk about and having that firmly in our minds and living, living towards that goal. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time we can spend in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us here and pull us towards yourself. Help us see what's real. Help us see you. Lord, stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's finish the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. So we believe that God inspired all of Scripture, that all Scripture is given through the power of the Spirit, and so we think God stands behind the preacher here. The preacher has been the name that the author has used for himself throughout the book. So whether this is Solomon or whether this is someone writing like Solomon, I don't know. To me, it's not important because he's just called himself the preacher. If he said he was Solomon, I would call him Solomon. But myself, I I don't know. But this is what he's called himself. He's called himself the preacher. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people Knowledge. Now watch these words here. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Has any thought gone into this? Yes, lots and lots of thought has gone into this book. The whole Bible, but as, you know, in this case, Ecclesiastes. The preacher sought to find words of delight. Is that how you would characterize the book of Ecclesiastes? Words of delight, you know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. Is that how you would characterize Ecclesiastes? Well, he, they've been, he says he's worked very hard at making this tasty, at, at making this pleasurable, at making this delightful. The preacher sought to find many words of delight, and uprightly he wore words of truth. It is beautiful truth that we find here in the book of Ecclesiastes. At least that has been the goal. So, so what I would, how I would put this is that God has sought to woo us 
through the book of Ecclesiastes, through beautiful truth. Now, my sons don't say, you know, there's this girl at school that I'm fixing to woo. Like that's just not language we use very often anymore. But when you want to woo somebody, like if you're a man, you want to woo a woman, then you do things like you buy flowers, you give gifts, or you write poetry, or you even go so far as to shower and shave and <laughs> wear deodorant. We're getting there, you know, we're getting closer. Um, but God has sought to woo us through beautiful truth, through truthful beauty. And, and I look at this, and I think of back of Ecclesiastes, and I think, how has God sought to woo us through beautiful truth in Ecclesiastes? And what comes to me is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where the preacher wrote, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. And, and it goes on. It's beautiful and it's true. And even people who don't believe in the Lord, even people who have rejected Christ, read that and go, that is beautiful and it is true. Now, they may miss what God is saying. What God is saying in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is, please see that you're not in charge. You can't control the seasons. No matter how hard you try, you cannot keep it fall. It will become winter. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get through winter before God is done with winter to get to spring. Please see that you can't control the seasons of the time. Please see that you're not in charge. This is, this is the beautiful truth that God is wooing us with in the book of Ecclesiastes. So God woos first in Ecclesiastes. Second, the words of the wise are like goads. So God woos, but he also pokes. Goads would be like a long stick with a nail in the end of it, or a really sharp uh, point to it. And so when you want to get the when you want to get the big animal, the animal that's bigger than you and stronger than you, when you want to get it moving again, you'd poke it with a goad and it would be motivated to move forward. And that's the picture he uses of these words. These words are like goads that poke us. Like, ah, I guess I have to keep moving. He says these words are like goads on purpose, like he meant for them to be like that, and like nails. And like nails, firmly fixed and are collected sayings. So these words keep us moving, but these words also keep us grounded in reality. Hey, can you think of like how you've seen beautiful truth in Ecclesiastes? And, and can you see how God has maybe poked you in the book of Ecclesiastes? Has God poked you? Like I think for me, Probably, probably the idea that we saw in back in chapter 1, and I think it's verse 3. Yeah, chapter 1, verse 3 says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Hey, Nathan, you're working so hard. You're trying so hard. You're trying to be so efficient. 
You're trying so hard to be so effective, and, and what do you gain? Poke. Right? Like, what is there to gain? Like, we saw in Ecclesiastes that apart from the Lord and apart from the resurrection, you are a glorious sandcastle that is returning to the beach. And what can you gain? Man, better keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because everything else is chasing the wind. The book of Ecclesiastes woos us, it also pokes us. God woos us and pokes us. Now, here's why, okay? We're going somewhere with this. So, and who does this? Well, the, the, the shepherd does this. And so we read, they are given by one shepherd. So this could be the preacher talking, or this could be the king. Kings were often referred to as shepherds, like shepherding their flock, which is their nation. It could also be God. So like think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So it could be God speaking. I think ultimately refers to God because ultimately God would be shepherding his people and ultimately God would be giving us the scripture. So I think the shepherd is God. And this is the one thing I want you to remember about God that we'll come back to later on in this. God is our shepherd. So they are given by the one shepherd who woos and pokes to keep us moving, keep us going in the right direction. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and of much study is a weariness to the flesh. I love it when books cite this in the foreword. Like, of making of many books, there is no end. Like, how often are we going to do this? Like, how many books do we need in the world? Like, do you have enough books in your library? No, I need a few more. Like, it. But I think the point is, like, please don't be the kind of person that's always learning and never deciding. Please don't waste your life never answering your questions or refusing to have your questions answered. Please come to some conclusions. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, why should we fear God? Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, God is the one who gives joy. So back in chapter 2, verse 25 we read, I'm going to start in verse 24. This also I saw is from the hand of God. All good things come from the hand of God. Verse 25, for apart from him who can eat or drink or have enjoyment. That we, we, when I was preaching that section, I had cans up here. And it's like in life, we pick up our work, which is like a sealed can. We're like, why can't I get any joy out of this? I should be enjoying this and I just can't. And we said, God also gives us the gift of a can opener, of getting joy out of stuff. That itself is a gift, and that gift is used through gratitude. And so, why should we fear God? Because he's the one who gives joy. Why should we fear God? Because he is beyond us. He is beyond our understanding. So in chapter 3, verse 11, we read, He also makes everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into a man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. So God has made everything, but we're not going to figure God out and so completely understand God because he's bigger than us and beyond us. And the third reason to fear God in Ecclesiastes is that God is utterly, terrifically, scarily almost, if you don't trust him, in charge of everything. So in chapter 7, verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider 
God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Why do you fear God? Because he gives joy, because he's beyond us, and because he is utterly, profoundly in charge. Okay? So fear God, and because you fear him, keep his commandments. So see the progression here? You start with a fear of God, and then you keep his commandments. There's no motivation to keep his commandments if you don't fear him. Have this deep respect for God, and out of that deep respect for God comes keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Well, I didn't like that. Let me read that again. God will bring some deeds into judgment. Hmm. God will bring other people's deeds into judgment. This is, this is the end of the matter, right? This is the backwards part that we're living towards. He's telling us how the exam is going to go. For God will bring every deed into judgment. In case you're like, wow, that's really hard. It gets worse. You ready? For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Every deed, every secret. You know, Romans, Brendan, when we were reading the book by David Gibson, um, long time ago now, we were reading it, and Brendan said, there is no condemnation. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that there's no examination. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here's what God is doing. God is wooing us. God is poking us. It's beautiful and it's painful, sometimes at the same time, to prepare us for the final judgment that is to come. But here's the thing. I think, I think a lot of us really don't want to think about the final judgment that is to come. A lot of us don't want to think about every deed coming under judgment and every secret thing coming out. David Gibson writes, Ecclesiastes says that a day is coming when some people will discover that they are not ready for the most important event in the world. Their life, this is why I have the quote up here, their life has been one long exercise in avoiding reality. Man, is that, is that you? Like, do anything but face this. Is that you? Their life has been one long exercise in avoiding reality and ignoring what is coming toward them. Death and judgment are coming. Man, in, in light of, like, death and judgment are coming, and in light of every deed coming into judgment and every secret thing, Man, who can stand? 
who, who can be ready for that? So when Jesus is getting his disciples ready for his imminent death, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this about himself. Before I read that, do you remember, do you remember what we read up in verse 11? The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are collected, saying they are given by one shepherd. You remember that? God is the shepherd, remember? And so when Jesus is preparing his disciples for his imminent death as he goes and marches towards Jerusalem to face the cross, he says this, I am the good shepherd. And this is what makes him the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here's what you need to do to be ready. You need to surrender to the good shepherd. You need to surrender to the shepherd of your soul who laid down his life for you. Surrender your secrets to him. Surrender your good works to him. Surrender your attempts to control life to him. Surrender your loved ones to him. Surrender your whole self to him. He'll forgive you and he will give you peace. Surrender to Jesus. With that idea of surrendering to Jesus and that idea of living on mission that other people would know the Good Shepherd, I'd like to talk with you about our year-end offering that is coming as we, every, every year on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, um, I always introduce the year-end offering. So with this idea of surrender and mission, let's talk about the year-end offering. And before I do that, the first thing I'd like to say is thank you for, to those of you who faithfully give a percentage of your income each week Week in and week out, month in and month out, thank you. Cheyenne and I do this too. We give 10%, and we always have. And um, the Lord has taken care of us, and we're just so thankful for you joining um, us in that obedience of like offering that up to God. That's what Cheyenne talks about when she talks about worship and how this is worship. This is an act of trust. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of surrender that we... Put our money where our heart is, and we, we offer that up to God. And I'm so thankful that you're doing that, so I'm not up here begging for money. And I'm not up here pleading with you to help us make budget and pay our bills. So thank you for that. This is gonna be, you're going to see a lot of fun stuff here, and we're just so thankful that, that God has used you and that you've given faithfully, and so we're in position to pitch a year-end offering like this. So let's walk through it. Our first project is the Aisho Chin Project, and this is to help Bibles International provide literacy, literacy aid in the New Testament to the Aisho Chin people. We have a video. Would you like to see the video? Yeah. All right. On the western edge of Myanmar, in areas that are difficult to reach, there are three such people groups. 
the Asho Chin, the Goga, and the Long Purinaga. I met the Asho Chin for the first time in 2017. They told us of the need, their need to have their own Bible. One of the things I really enjoyed and was very memorable for me was going to church with them. And this really opened my eyes to the needs that they have. Less than a fourth of them were even carrying a Bible. And of those ones that had brought their Bible, they were all in Burmese. None of them had one that was in an Asho language. When I looked around, I, throughout the whole church, could only count six Bibles that were ever opened in the whole service. And you could see them wanting to participate and wanting to know more, but they, they could not. And the Asho people are very eager to be able to share the Word of God among their people. They are very burdened also for their children. Um, the Asho would speak of how the children will want to come to Sunday school and then they are very disappointed when they get there that they teach them in Burmese. And the children haven't learned Burmese yet. They haven't gone to school. They, they don't understand the stories. The Long Puri are divided by an international border. Our concern is that uh, we get both groups unified and working together for literacy and Bible translation. I was so encouraged at this meeting also to hear them express why they wanted to do this. And in particular, one of the gentlemen talked about how this was so important for their people, so important for their church, because they want to be able to reach their children with the truth about God at a young age. They've started trying to write it down. They were a little nervous about it. They weren't sure. They said, are we allowed to use this letter for this sound that we have? And they're eager to have Bibles International help. In 2016, we had the opportunity to meet the Goga for the first time. They had traveled down by boat uh, several days journey from northern Myanmar and wanted a written language, wanted BI to help. And they also wanted scripture. We first met with a group of the leaders that were concerned about literacy. It's a mixture of believers and unbelievers. Among the group, there was a Baptist pastor. He said, for us to do ministry, we have to borrow from other languages and it is not successful. Some work has already begun through our literacy department. We were just wondering how we can begin the work of writing our language down. At that moment, God seemed to open a door. We have met with Bibles International and God's people. And now in my hand, we have a printed book saying Goga, a primer book. We are so happy to have this book, so happy to be learning this in a class. So we are hoping that our people will be able to praise God in their own mother tongue read the Word of God in their heart language, and like any other language group in the world, we will also one day be having the love of God in every area of life. By starting this literacy work early on like this, we are setting them up to be able to start uh, creating a desire for reading in their language, for valuing it, and for being receptive to the possibility that they too can read God's Word. So we'd love to help them have a written language and have the New Testament in their language. So they're speaking this language, but they don't have it in writing. So we're going to help them get it in writing, and then we'll help them get a New Testament translated into that written language. And we'd like to do this for $10,000. Um, second, we'd like to help Love, Inc. Um, build half a home or purchase half a home for those who don't have housing. And so, from their website, Love, Inc., which is love in the name of Christ, so that's the I-N-C up here, it's love in the name of Christ. Love, Inc.'s uh, goal is to provide 10 mobile homes over five years 
to families who complete the transitional housing portion of the Homes of Hope program. And so they're not just going to give people homes without any training to help them hold on to the homes or help them stay in their homes. They're going to um, disciple them and help them keep their homes um, as they give them these homes uh, mortgage-free. So I think Love, Inc. is a little over halfway through this project, and so we'd be jumping in midstream to a program that is running and is successful. So we'd like to be into this for $15,000. So $10,000 for the Asho Shin uh, project, $15,000 to help with half a home. There are $30,000 for these homes. We'd do half of one. And our next one we'd like to help is Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor prevents or helps prevent and stop and heal child abuse and neglect in Allegan County. How many of you know what Safe Harbor is? Okay, that's most of you. It's most of you. Safe Harbor is near Allegan Bible Church, near the bowling alley, near well, what used to be the bowling alley, near um, Grocery Outlet, thank you, near the middle school. It's over there. It has a new building. I didn't realize it until I was doing her eulogy that Lorraine Heckman helped start Safe Harbor. Um, back several years ago, uh, when she was a practicing nurse, she saw a lot of kids come in severely neglected, severely abused, and got together with some other nurses and said, we have to do something about this. We have to do something about this right now. And so they started the organization that became Safe Harbor. So I'm going to let... So the, the deacons and trustees um, met at Safe Harbor and got a tour from the director, who is Lorianne Koviak. She's a believer. She kind of led us through it, and we prayed over the ministry and over the building. Um, and I thought, how is, what's the best way to communicate to you this need? And I thought, I'd love to give you the same tour. So it won't quite be the same tour because you're not actually there walking through it, talking to her, but you'll get to watch her walk through it and talk through it. So here we are with uh, Safe Harbor. And sometimes this buffers a little in the beginning, but then, then it will play. You guys remember that in Ecclesiastes it points out that we live between the trees, right? I just... Welcome to Safe Harbor Children's Advocacy Center. Very excited to show you today our new building. What Safe Harbor does is provide prevention, intervention, treatment, and advocacy for children in the community. And so now we'll start our tour. This is one of our children's interview rooms. In here, our staff speak with the kids about allegations of sexual or severe physical abuse. There are two cameras in this room, one that allows for view of the whole room and one that is more centered on the child. Our staff talk to kids in a very open-ended, non-leading way to allow kids the opportunity to share 
what may have happened to them. And then across the hall, we have our medical suite. This allows the children to talk to a doctor while they're still in their regular clothes and to tell them what they are concerned about. And then move to the next room, which is our medical evaluation room. We try to make it the least scary as possible. It is designed for kids two to 18 so that they can get the medical that they need. This is simply, while it may look a little scary, a large magnifying glass. It allows the doctor to see any injuries that a child may have had and then to make a determination how the injury may have occurred. We don't do needles or anything like that. We don't want children to be afraid to come back to Safe Harbor. This is the medical occurs on their second visit to Safe Harbor. So in our next office, it's our prevention education. We talk to kids in the classrooms. We talk to adults about keeping kids safe. And kids after a classroom presentation get to have one of these kind of fun bracelets. Each year we talk to about 6,000 kids through classroom presentations. A little further down the hall is our team room. This is where law enforcement, child protective services, and the prosecuting attorney will watch the interview as it takes place. So while the staff member is talking to the child in the interview room, our team members will sit in here and observe. This allows them to also have conversation with the forensic interviewer during a break and get the information that they need for their investigation. So we also have two team rooms. These both function so that two interviews can happen at the same time. The back part of the building where we have staff offices allow our staff to decompress after some really hard conversations with kids and team members. Our waiting room is designed to be very open feeling. We have the glass from the front door all the way to the back. It allows kids and parents to really feel an open, warm, welcoming, to be able to see nature, but to also know that they are in a smaller environment. Families many times feel very uncertain about what they're going through when they come to Safe Harbor. Part of the back half of this building is also my office, but our conference room. Each month we meet with law enforcement, Child Protective Services, the prosecuting attorney's office, and we talk about all of our open cases because we do not want a kid to fall through the cracks. We want to make sure that if they need resources, we're able to get those resources and to help finish the investigation phase of these cases. We also have our CAC manager's office where she also provides therapy for kids. This is a little bit more of the talk therapy. And then we have our CASA office. Our CASA, or the Court Appointed Special Advocates Program, helps train volunteers to speak on behalf of kids in the family court system. The next room I'm gonna show you is play therapy. In here, kids have the opportunity to work through their trauma in a variety of ways. We have the sand tray with lots of miniatures that they put into the sand tray. We have books, a puppet theater, little nesting areas for them to feel a little bit more warm and cozy, some place for them to draw. Each kid needs something different to work through their trauma, and so we want to provide that for them. We see kids from ages two all the way up to 18. So every child, every youth is going to need a different way to express their feelings and what they're going through. In our art therapy room, kids do lots of different types of projects. Each one helps them work through their trauma, learn new coping skills. 
This room is designed for kids to make a mess and can also be used for group therapy sessions. The other two therapy spaces that we have are the more traditional talk therapy. These are set up in a very kind of cozy way for those kids who need to talk a little bit more through their therapy. And you'll see with our two traditional therapy rooms, they are a little bit different in the fact that one has a little bit more natural light and one does not. This is because each child has a different comfort level and we want them to get what they need in the manner that is best for them. I really hope that today's tour gives you a better idea of who Safe Harbor is and what we do. Thank you for choosing us for your year-end giving. Safe Harbor truly relies on community support and you will help to provide a building for kids to continue to find hope and healing for many years to come. Thank you. So this is Safe Harbor. And one of the questions might be, why, why Safe Harbor? Why are we choosing Safe Harbor? Because I'm just going to tell you, and we told this to the deacons and the trustees, they are not a Christian, overtly Christian organization. There are Christians that work there, but they don't have a doctrinal statement or a mission in their founding documents that is specifically Christian. Um, let me read to you from Matthew chapter 25, and this is, this is my heart behind choosing Safe Harbor um, and bringing it to the deacons and the trustees. So in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus is talking about the final judgment, which is what we read about in Ecclesiastes as well when everything is revealed. And so he's talking about separating the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And how do you know if you're a sheep or the goat? How do you know if you're going to go to heaven or hell? How do you know if you're going to face reward or punishment? Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And for me, that's it. Like, by helping Safe Harbor, we are helping the kids that they are helping. We're helping the least of these. The kids that don't have a voice, that don't have any power, that are severely neglected or abused. We're helping them in Jesus' name. So, so that's, that's my thoughts behind this. I think that's um, the boards. And so we'd like to help them pay off their mortgage in Jesus' name to the tune of $25,000. Then, there has been talk of a playground. I don't know if you've heard that talk of a playground or not, but we're talking about outdoor ministry. I, last year, I showed you 
um, this picture and was like, man, we're going to have this playground, Lord willing, and my dream for this is that you're going to drive in here with your grandkids and they're going to see the playground and after church gets out, they're going to grab you by the throat and drag you out to the playground where they're going to play and you're just going to stand there and talk to people while they play. And we're still waiting for that playground, aren't we? The supply chain has been broken. Um, this is another picture I showed you. Lord willing, we'll have an accessibility swing and a tot swing as well. And uh, I've seen that, yeah, it looked to me like an extra part was in the church garage. And I'm like, I wonder if they know there's an extra part out here. And then I realized that is the accessibility swing. Um, just, just waiting for it to settle. And so you can see that we have made progress on the playground, and it is, it is coming, Lord willing. So to kind of go with the playground, what we would like to do is we would like to have seating. And so you're like, $10,000 for seating. How many lawn chairs could I buy for $10,000? Are you kidding me? Well, the kind of seating we're talking about is the industrial-grade seating that will match the playground, um, that you won't get slivers on and that won't fall over, that will really look nice and, and match um, the playgrounds. We're talking about $10,000 for seating and we're talking about $15,000 for a fence because the playground is near the driveway and I think most parents, grandparents, um, will have a deeper peace of mind if there's a fence around it in case your kids like to run. So... Uh, $25,000 for outdoor ministry, mostly for seating and a vinyl-coated chain-link fence. Then, we draw the line, right? And then, you guys know how this goes. Everything below the line, everything that comes in after that goes towards a specific thing that, that we've picked. And so, right now, we have $75,000 um, above the line. So, everything that comes in will we'll go out to those ministries in, those, in that order, and then everything else that comes in, we're looking at going towards a new roof. <laughs> yep, it's time to adult. And uh, so we're talking about saving for a new roof. So, oh, that, that didn't show up great. Oh, I guess it's okay. I, I guess I can't see it back here, but I think you can see it up here. You can see these circles. Can you see those? Yep, yep the circles are areas where there's no stone left on the roof. So that doesn't mean that the roof is currently leaking, but it does mean that we're going to have to replace it soon. Um, because, like you say, there, there's a lot of spots on the roof where there's no stone, and it is coming to the end of its cycle. So we're looking, you know, Lord willing, we're praying for, hoping for $50,000 to come in towards a new roof, and that will get us about a third of the way towards a new roof, so we can sustain the ministry here, and that would put us at about $125,000, which is just a little bit more than came in last year. So that's the, that's the year-end um, pitch. I hope, I hope that you'll join us in that. So probably... There might be some of you going, you know, this is just another pastor asking for money. I know that's like a sentiment of like, please, please just leave me alone. And the thing that, the thing that I would just offer to you, if, if you're like, 
if you just think this is all about money. The thing that I offer to you is, then don't give. Just don't give. The thing that I want you to do first, that I'd offer you first, that I think you should do first, it's the most important thing to do first, is figure out where you are with a good shepherd. The one shepherd in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the good shepherd in John chapter 10, first sort it out with him. So if you haven't surrendered to him, don't worry about giving. Giving is the least of your concerns if you haven't surrendered to the good shepherd. First, First, like I say, fear the Lord. First, figure out whether or not you're going to surrender to the good shepherd. Once you've surrendered to the good shepherd, then you can decide with him what to give to, when to give, how much to give. That's between you and the good shepherd, though. So I'll leave you two to figure it out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for how you walk with us and help us. And Lord, I pray that you would Help us know you and love you, surrender to you, and Lord, that you would give us life, an abundant life, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the way you provide for us and care for us and lead us through life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.